Good morning. Today's sermon is titled, Do This in Remembrance of Me. And, of course, we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, but I thought it was a, a unique coincidence that it's happening on Memorial Day weekend where we are remembering all those who have served our country and died for our country. And um, I don't know that we truly understand the great freedom that has been given to us through those men and women who have sacrificed their lives and are even serving today. Um, I have a, a very good friend who flies those drones. And uh, he talks about the, the anguish of having to fly and drop bombs uh, on countries far away. So there are people today who are living and serving our country that are also in a great anguish. So let's, uh, let's thank the Lord for those who have served. Uh, if you have someone in your family that's actively serving today, would you just raise your hand? Okay. If you have someone in your family uh, who is deceased but have served in the military, raise your hand. And if you know somebody who has served in the military, raise your hand. Let's give the Lord a big amen for those who have served us. Here's what I also know. The scripture says that you were once dead in your trespasses and sin. And there's one who died for us that we could have life. And it's in his name today that we meet. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 25. We're going to look at uh, today the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at the body and the blood. And I hope you will uh, stick with me and see many, much of this is symbolic. And you have to take it symbolic. Um, for, and, and Jesus even tells us that. I'll show you that here in a minute. But in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, we have Paul here saying, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If I could encourage you in anything today, I would encourage you in this way. Jesus Christ is coming back. And we are closer and closer and closer to the event actually taking place. And our hope lies in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died on the cross, was buried on the third day, rose again, and today is sitting at the right hand for you and me. For you and me. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. The statement is recorded four times in the New Testament. Uh, 
Each time Jesus gave thanks. Church, I don't need to remind you, but I want to remind you to just always give thanks. Every day is a blessing. Every day Jesus has died for us, his blood has covered our sins, the debt is paid, and we have been set free from the penalty of sin. Give thanks. Do you ever take for granted things? You see, if it wasn't for the valleys, you wouldn't understand the preciousness of the mountaintops. In John chapter 6, we read about how Jesus fed the 5,000. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to look at a, a lengthy verse or a lengthy part of this chapter. But I just want to lay it out here. So he, he's fed to 5,000 in, in John chapter 6 is verses 1 through 15. And Jesus walks on water in verses 16 through 21. And then in verses 22 through 59, Jesus claims, says, I am the bread of life. And so I want us to just look at this. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. It says, on the next day. The next day would be after the feeding of the 5,000, after Jesus had walked on the water. Uh, there's, we know that they, they fed 5,000 men. We know there were probably 5,000 women we know there could have been 5,000 children, could have been 10,000 children. We know that he probably served 20,000 people on that mountain. And the people came, and it says this. It says, after they had ate all that they wanted. It says, until they were full. Again, something that in this culture really didn't happen to most people. Uh, you and I, we can go eat a meal until we're full. Sometimes we should have pushed the plate away a little sooner. We're over full. But in this culture, they ate until they were full. And so this caused a great disturbance among the people to follow Jesus. And so they were looking for him. So it says in verse 22, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came, to, came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
<clears throat> if you write in your Bibles, I'm going to stop and say I want you to underline here. If you don't, that's fine too. <clears throat> because here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said the way to heaven is hard, narrow, and few find it. The Christian walk is by far the hardest walk there is to walk on this life today. So here's what he says. Jesus is talking to them. He says, you're, you're not seeking me because of the miracle that you saw. What was the miracle? The feeding of all the people out of a, a little bit of food. They weren't concerned with as, how this food came from as much as the fact that they ate all they wanted. And so they're seeking him. And so he says this. He says, do not labor. Underline that word, labor. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Underline the word works. Jesus says don't labor. They come back and say, What work must we do? And Jesus answered them. Now check this out. This is the work. Of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do? Feeding 20,000 people from a little bit of food wasn't enough. They, they want another sign. Listen, when it comes to signs and miracles, they're never enough. You just have to have the next one, the next one, the next one. And by the way, that is the exact same thing with sin. Sin is never enough. You just got to have the next, the next, the next, the next. It's never satisfying. The only thing in life that is satisfying is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus reminds them. He says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, cast the symbolic here. He's talking about the manna that they, they, re, they read about. They read about the manna during the wilderness wandering where God gave them food to eat. And now he's comparing himself to being the manna. He, it's symbolic. He's not saying he wants you to eat him. He's not saying he is that kind of bread. But he is saying he is the bread that sustains life. Remember, Scripture says, man won't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from my mouth. As important as food is to us, and it is important, the Word of God is greater than food. It's greater. And until you fall in love with Jesus Christ, you won't understand that. 
it won't be to that point where, you know, you know I, I, um, I'm, I'm witnessing to a guy at work, been witnessing to him for a couple years, been witnessing to him ever since I've been there. And I believe he's saved. And here's what he was telling me the other day. I can't get enough of this. And I said, that's the greatest evidence that what you believe is absolutely true and that possibly you are saved because you can't get enough of it. Listen, when you have this relationship with God and, and this, is, this is the food that he gave you, you can't get enough of it. Listen, he said it's hard. It's hard. The things that he asks is hard. But now listen, God would never ask you to do anything that he wouldn't equip you to do. And here's the deal. He may not have equipped you to do it as much as he equipped the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you to help you do it. There is a work. So he says here, he goes, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Listen, I came to Jesus in 1980. And I believe I have hungered for food every day since then. But I have also grown into this desire of loving his word and how it changes my thinking. And, and in changing my thinking, then, it changes my actions. So he goes on, he says, he says, And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, he's not talking about literally eating and literally drinking. What he's talking about is his completeness in saving your soul from the wrath of God by giving you himself on the cross. Verse 36 says, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he gave me, but raise them up in the last days. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks unto the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days. Now, here, he's, he's explaining to the Jews the gospel message of Jesus Christ, who hasn't died yet. Verse 41 says, so the Jews grumbled about him. You ever talk to people about Jesus and they grumble about him? Well, if God is so good, why is there so much hatred in the world? If God is so good, why are so many people suffering? If God is so good, why are there children in children's hospitals deathly sick and dying? If God is so good, why is a world falling apart? The Jews simply do what we do. They grumble today in this world. You see, here's what Jesus said. This is not your home. Your home is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that come down from heaven. 
You see, they're missing the whole point. They're simply, they, they got stuck on one thing. He says he came down from heaven. Well, how could he come down from heaven? And they go, is he not, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last days. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one who may eat it may not die. Can you see how this is confusing to them? How do you eat the flesh of this man and not die? And the people in the wilderness ate the manna from God and died. They're just confused and it's just frustrating to them. And listen, that's what God's word does to many people. It frustrates them. I love talking to, about the Bible to people. I don't know it all. I'm not even close. But what I do know, I know. And what I know, I share. Because it's not mine. It was given to you so that you would give it to someone else. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Remember? They're thinking of eating him fleshly, and he's talking about he's going to give his fleshly body on the cross. Then the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life. There's no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The bread and the body are symbols. We do this in remembrance. We partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. During the Last Supper, Jesus' body, as he's dealing with them, he's talking about how it's the sacrifice. According to John 6, 35... One can eat Jesus' body by, be, by coming to him. One can eat 
Jesus' body by coming to him. You have to come to Jesus. You know what the hardest thing in the world to do today? Is to leave behind this world and accept the offer of free salvation through Jesus Christ by the blood and the body of Christ who was sacrificed for you. It's impossible to do that apart from God calling you. But listen, it is hard to do that in the world in which we live. For Jesus' eating is believing. His promise eternal life to those who believe in him. Believe that his death, that the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood pays the full penalty of sin. Remember, Jesus is giving here a new covenant because the old covenant was a covenant of laws and sacrifices. Remember the Jews, they were sacrificing. Remember they're meeting here right now because of a sacrificed animal during a Passover. Where they put the blood posts on the doors and the lintel. And the death angel went by. If the blood was on those lintels, the death angel went by and they survived. It was a covenant. This Old Testament covenant is now broken. And there's a new covenant in Jesus Christ. And in this new covenant, we have a payment of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing a song, Washed by the Blood. It makes no sense except to believers. If you were a lost person and you come and sat in his church service and they were singing Washed by the Blood, you would think these people are sick, out of their mind, and crazy. How can you become white as snow in blood? A blood that gets on most things that are white that you can't get out. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. And this new cup was predicted 600 years before Christ was born. In Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verses 31 and 33, it says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that was made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was the husband, declares the Lord. The old covenant required these blood sacrifices and they had to be repeated over and over and over and over. I don't know that we can understand not being a Jew and not understanding the heritage of this, of the idea of taking in a small lamb into your home for 14 days, keeping it in your house, that was the process. The lamb would become a pet to everyone there, except for possibly the father who knew the end result of the sacrifice. On the 14th day, the lamb would be sacrificed, would be taken to the, the uh, temple, and at the altar, the high priest would cut the throat of the animal, pour the blood into a cup, and pour that blood over the altar to cover this family's sins for that year. And listen, it was complete. All their sins were covered and forgiven. The thing was is, they had to do it again next year. And this is the beauty of Jesus Christ. A one-time sacrifice for all. Never to be repeated again. In fact, 
it was continually repeated by the Jews after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to the point that Jesus had even predicted before he died that he would destroy the temple because only in destroying the temple would it stop the sacrifices. Because the Jews who did not believe in Jesus, which were many, they still came every year sacrificing animals as if this did something when it did nothing. How do we know it did nothing? Hebrews 10.4 says this. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Impossible. Verse 9 says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second order, the second covenant. In Hebrews 7.22 it says this makes Jesus our guarantor of a better covenant. John 1, 29, John the Baptist said this. The next day he saw Jesus uh, coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew it. When Jesus just began his ministry, he knew it. It had been revealed to him. He believed it. You see, the new covenant is based on faith in the shed blood of Christ to take away our sin. Not a sacrifice that needed to be repeated over and over, but sin's debt is paid for in full. Some 2,000 years ago, the penalty of sin was paid for. The Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am your propitiation. I have satisfied my Father's wrath against you. Today we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. He has made a way to be a child of the King. Who wouldn't want to be a child of the King? Think about this. I've heard it said, and I have even said it. God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. You ever heard that? Ever said that? Have you ever backed that up with Scripture? Psalms 5, 4 and 5 says this. For you are not a God who delights in the wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Listen, you hate all evildoers. Psalms eleven five. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Still think God loves the sinner? And, and I, I, I can't answer this question right now. How John 3.16, so for God so loved the world that he only gave his begotten son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But nowhere in that verse does he say he loves the sinner. He loved his creation, what he made. He loved mankind. He created them in his image. 
But here's part of the problem. We have watered down the message of Jesus to being a message of love when the reality is it's a message of getting away from his hate. Getting away from his wrath. Eternal hell is at stake. And it's serious. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him will not perish and have everlasting life. It's a love relationship. But very clearly, according to Psalms, he hates sin and sinners. By the way, was every one of you, before you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the blood of Christ washed away all of your sins, and you were declared righteous and holy before a just God. I think it's important that you let people know Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But I think it's also important for you to let them know no boastful shall stand before the eyes you hate all evil doers. You ever just have a verse come to your mind? Hebrews 10 Got to find it. Verse 31. You see, we have made God such a God of love that we've left out the fact that he hates evil doers. He hates sinners. And we've forgotten this in, in, in Hebrews 10, 31, where it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing. To fall into the hands of a wrathful God. Is he a loving God? Absolutely. But I'm here to tell you that if you die without Jesus and you meet him, he will have no problem in sending you to hell for the rest of your life. Is that a loving God? It's a fair God. He's given hope. He's given hope. He's given life. He's given opportunity. He's given everybody a chance in the world. Your sin debt is paid for, but you have to do one thing. You have to believe the gospel, accept the gospel, confess the gospel, believe the gospel, the fact that it changes you, and God gives you that Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Because listen, falling into the hands of a vengeful God is not a place you want to be apart from Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am your propitiation. I have satisfied my Father's wrath against you. When you place your faith and trust in the work that I did on the cross, my life, my death, my burial, my resurrection, for your payment of sin, my Father has no wrath on you. None. None. But until then, What a terrible place to be, to fall into the hands of a wrathful God. This is the beauty of this all. 
We were all sinners. We deserve a holy, just God to hate us. But that little tiny word that has such big implications. It wasn't until I heard the gospel. You know, um, I used to, when, when people would ask me for my testimony, I would, I would always make sure that I brought up Jack Tishner's name. Jack Tishner was a, a man that was uh, under five foot tall that preached the gospel the moment, I, the day that I heard, the day that I believed, the day that I was saved. His head stood about like this. You could just barely see him. I remember him to this day, and I would say, Jack Tishner preached the gospel, and I believed it. But you know what the real story is? Jack Tishner preached the gospel, but God opened my eyes so that I would believe it. It's all to him, the glory of your salvation. Not to the man who preached the gospel. It is God who saves you. It is God who opens your eyes. It is God that brings you to the point. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Whoever the Father has given to me, I will not lose. He's not going to lose any, by the way. Back to John chapter 6. Starting in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, and you'd have to go back and course and read the very, the very thing that is read to you about I am the bread of life. Remember he, he was talking about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. And, and the disciples looked at him and they said, this is a hard saying. This is hard to grasp that we have to eat of your body and drink of your blood in order to have eternal life. That makes no sense. They said it's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that these disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that those who did not believe, and they would betray him. And Jesus said... This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father granted to him by, by the Father. <clears throat> Verse 66 says this. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus turned to his 12. He says, do you want to go away also? You know, they could be the very words to you today. Do you want to go away too? Do you want to leave? Because the way is hard and narrow and few are going to find it. Do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God.
Do you want to leave? Do you want to walk away? The door's open. Where would you go? Who would you seek? What would you serve? Because the greatest problem today in our relationship with Jesus Christ is serving him over serving self. It's hard. And listen, I fail. I know you fail. We all fail. But we have a goal. We have a purpose. We have a reason. John Piper said this. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper because he didn't want us to forget the very core of what we believe. The very core of what we believe. That Jesus gave his body for us. That Jesus' blood covers our sins. And that to all who will believe and trust in him, you can have eternal life. And so Jesus asked the question, do you want to walk away? Can, can you imagine that? There's a huge group of you who are all in, all in, you think you're all in anyway, and, and most of them turn away and leave because of the things that he just said. Listen, if you couldn't understand the symbolism of that, you would want to walk away. I have to eat your flesh and drink your blood. I'm not doing that. I'm not a cannibal. I'm not going to do that. That wasn't what he was talking about. And you see, they couldn't see past that because it was hard, it was work, it was labor. And they couldn't see the very fact that Jesus had already done all the work, all the labor. We're going to play a song right now. And this song is a time of evaluation. Um, it's a time of evaluation for you as a believer in what we are about to partake in, the Lord's Supper. One of the greatest things that he left us with to remember, to remember him by, and the importance of it. It's also something that we don't have a closed communion, meaning that we don't only do it for grace members, we do it for a universal church, so it is open to anyone who has professed Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But if you haven't professed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I hope you can see the need to do so. Um, I'm closer to death than I am to living, but I just didn't realize at 20 that I was just as close to death as I have ever been. It's just by God's grace and mercy that I've lived to be almost 64. I would just, as I look and read scripture, I, I come to the understanding that God could look down and see all the foolish things that I would do and protect me through that to get me to the point of where I am today. 
I just have a better relationship with Jesus Christ today than I had five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But that relationship is because I really read and study the Word of God a lot. And, and that's what I said, you know, um, I don't know how many times I have said God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. That just makes sense to us when we use John 3.16. But if you go back and use Psalm, you kind of can clearly see that that's not a true statement. Until you meet Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the wrath of God is on you. And it's not. And either Jesus pays it for you or you have to pay it yourself. And so right now we're going into a time, um, many churches would call it an altar call, uh, many times we would call it a time of just a confession, a, a time of praise, a time of thanks. It's a time right now for you to deal with God and let God deal with you. And it's a time right now that if God is calling you, that you make a public profession in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So right now we're just going to play a song quietly and then after the song is played and all decisions are dealt with, we'll do the Lord's Supper.